The New Testament lesson today comes from the book of Luke. It is chapter 6, and I'll be starting with verse 31, reading through verse 38. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The 2017 movie Mudbound is a beautiful film of scope and intimacy. It was released to Netflix in 2017. It is an intricately detailed epic in the vein of John Steinbeck's East of Eden or Grapes of Wrath. It tells the story of two American families in 1940s rural Mississippi two families who are bound together by their attachment and what sometimes feels like their imprisonment to the land that they farm. As the voiceover says to start the movie, when I think of the farm, I think of mud, encrusting knees and hair, marching in boot-shaped patches across the floor, I dreamed in brown. These words are spoken by Laura, as she watches her husband, Henry, and his brother, Jamie, digging in the rippling dirt under streaming skies of a summer storm. They are digging a grave. Another family, the Jacksons, wife Florence, husband Hap, and their three children, pull up in their wagon. They seem desperate to get away, covered with rain and pain. Henry asks them to help with the grave digging, even though this family is clearly trying to get away, loaded up with their family ready to leave. Florence and Hap pause, looking trapped, knowing they cannot say no to this request from Henry, a white man. You see, Henry and Laura are the owners of the farm on which they are digging this grave. They are white, Florence and Hap are sharecroppers. They are black. For years, Hap and Florence have farmed the land that Henry now owns. For decades, they have dreamt of owning their own piece of property, but they have not been allowed to buy anything so far. So they continue to work on land for which they do not own the deeds. And as the movie flashes back, we see how Henry decides suddenly to buy this property and try to farm. We see how he eagerly drags along Laura and their two children and his aging father. 
Henry himself and Henry alone is all eager and ready, even though he doesn't know anything about farming. We see Henry and Lara constantly needing help from Hap and Florence. Henry comes to the door and asks for them at all hours of the day and night. Over and over again, we see them pressed into service on behalf of Henry and Lara and their children, and we, we never see that help and service returned. At one point, Lara begs Florence to come help with her sick daughter for a couple days, and we see Florence look around at her own family, her own children, her own household, and she sighs heavily, and she packs to leave. And we hear her say in a quiet voiceover, I didn't have the luxury of only loving my own children. My own mother, I remember being blue, blue from the dark of the morning when the moon would still be up. My mother, blue in the twilight, the sun not yet risen, she going off to work to wake and kiss some other woman's children in the sunlight. My mother, blue again from the dark of the evening, well after sunset, after we'd eaten the, gold, the cold suppers she had prepared and left for us. When I was a little girl, I hated the children who saw my mother in the daylight. I swore that my children would have all of me, would see me in the daylight. But now I know what my mother must have known, that if something had ever happened to that white woman's children, that would have been the end of us. Now, that I, now I know that she left us not out of duty, but out of love. The film goes on to explore other connections between the families, other intertwining stories of miscarriage and PTSD from World War II, and struggles with the harvest. Beautiful moments punctuate this film alongside some brutal challenges. We see great love shown in small gestures, in acts of quiet gift-giving and slow dances. We see Florence savor the tender delight of a chocolate bar, and Laura rejoice in the cleansing grace of a long, hot bath. Life is tough for both of these families, but in different ways. What has lingered with me longest after watching this movie is the reality of how bound together these families are. They need each other. They need this farm to survive. They all live and breathe the mud of the earth. They all scan the skies for signs of rain and sun, they all pour their blood and sweat and tears into farming this land. Yet, the exchange is not equal. All the families are bound together, but the, only the Jacksons are the ones expected to show gratitude. We never see Laura offer to care for Flo, Florence's children. We never see Henry offer Hap a free helping hand. In the society of white supremacy in which they live, it is the black family who are the ones constantly in danger of being on the losing end of the exchange. If they do not show proper deference, 
If Florence or Hap do not act grateful enough for the chance to farm or grateful enough for the chance to walk out the front door, they could be punished or even killed. Mudbound is telling an American story, a story of how these families are linked together, knit into a relationship by the land, by nature, by hope and fear and hard work. Yet this movie also tells an American story of how we have long used the construct of race to set up unequal exchanges in society. How we are told in a thousand different ways that some of us rank higher than others, even when we all depend upon each other to survive and thrive. This brings us to our Luke passage for the day. This passage comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Plains, and here Jesus uses financial terms to try to change people's understanding of the world, to try to draw and redefine what the kingdom of heaven looks like on the earth. Jesus is speaking to a world that is often defined by debt and payment, defined by terms and conditions of honor and economic exchange. Jesus is speaking to a world and a society that has a very stratified understanding of who should feel grateful to whom and how they should show it. And to this society from 2,000 years ago as well as to ours now, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Jesus is pushing against our notions of worth and value. He is reminding us that our systems of supremacy will not stand up under the gaze of the Most High God. These are dangerous words. These are words that are going to upset a lot of people. And eventually these words, combined with some more words that Jesus keeps saying, some more actions he keeps doing, they're going to get him killed. These words still have the power to surprise us and shake us today. We must admit that we still calculate much of our identity from the job we hold and the salary we make. We still often measure our own self-worth in terms of our financial resources, in terms of how much we feel like we can give or how much people we owe to us. When we meet someone and ask, what do you do? We aren't often asking, what do you do to make the world a better place? What do you do for others? We're not often asking, what do you do for your own peace and well-being? When we ask, what do you do? We are almost always referring to, what is your job? And perhaps in some hidden, unspoken way, we are asking, what do you make? Where do you rank next to me? How should I feel in your presence? If someone is at a party and we ask them what they do and they respond, oh, I clean houses or I collect trash, if we are honest, we will admit this gives us a different internal reaction than if someone responds, oh, I manage hedge funds or I develop property. Yet we all want our trash to be picked up and our houses to be clean. We all depend upon these services in order for our society to thrive this is part of the calculation we make to keep our homes, our lives, our communities healthy. 
when Jesus talks here, he is questioning some deeply embedded aspect of our lives. He is asking us to examine what is our relationship to love, to lending, and to each other. He's asking us to examine how do we rank and define our neighbor? How do we rank people who cannot pay back what they owe? How do we define people who don't get what we think they deserve? This is the context in which Jesus preaches that often quoted golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. He does not say, do this because it is the nice thing to do, because we should try to be a good person. He says, be merciful, for your Father is merciful. Jesus says, do this because of who God is, because of what God has already done unto you. If we choose to take a leap of faith and believe the biblical witness, we realize There is nothing we can do to stop the love that God pours out upon us. There is nothing we can do to stop the flow of mercy and grace that spills out of every container and across every balance sheet. There is nothing we can do to tally the account of what we owe to our maker and redeemer and sustainer. The debt will never be paid by us. Only grace makes up the difference, and even more. And this grace is a gift from God. There is nothing we can do to earn it. There is nothing we can do to stop it. Instead, we must shut up and sit down and receive the good measure of God's grace that is being poured into our lives even now. We might receive rewards and privilege. We all know people who seem to get back what they owe. But we shouldn't live as if we are owed anything. Instead, we should live as if we get far more than we deserve. Jesus declares here that God will not be pinned in place by the pluses and minuses of our profit margin. Where we define someone else's worth by services rendered, Jesus is redefining people by their reality as children of the Most High. While we are trapped by our series of calculations and recalculations, our holy God is free, free to pour out a love that defies logic, free to offer a grace that is beyond measure, free to choose us in a covenantal relationship that busts through the boundaries of our heart. The gospel does not say to live as if we will get what we are owed. The gospel says to live as if we've already been given far more love and grace and mercy than we deserve, far more than we can imagine. And we must try to believe this. Kate Bowler is a writer and professor that you have heard quoted several times from this pulpit. She's a Duke Divinity School professor who was, at age 35, diagnosed with stage four cancer. Last summer, she spoke at the Montreat Women's Conference. She spoke about living scan to scan for three years now with this cancer. At the conference, she talked about how she lives with a double brain, 
She's always assuming that she'll be fine, and she's always preparing for the worst outcome. She says this really messes with her boomerang theology, as she calls it. It's a theology that she admits she has held even when she didn't realize it, and she thinks many of us carry. Boomerang theology says that we pay out in order to see what we can get back. She said, as we live our lives, we're always looking for the math to even out, to believe that we send out good and get something back. But these calculations exhaust us, and they never add up. And she goes on to say, when we do this, it steals from the power of what God is doing with things like grace and mercy. She ended this one answer by saying, we are loved God is here, that is enough, and we have to try to believe that. That is enough. The scriptures declare that Christ gifts us with a love we can never earn, a grace that we will never pay back, and this is meant to change how we live and love, how we dream, and how we die. I wonder how things would be different if we lived as if this were true. I wonder how our lives would be different if we didn't live according to our own internal balance sheets, but instead as if unquenchable love and irresistible grace and unfathomable mercy really meant something. I wonder how this would shake up our calculations and our comparisons, our secret systems of ranking other people and our own good deeds. If we lived as if grace and love are real and true, I wonder how this would change us. I wonder how this would change our relationship with others. I wonder how this could change our world. I wonder how this would help us care for people we so often look past or shove to the margins. I wonder how this would make us value anew the life and love, the work and witness of people like Florence and Hap. If we lived as if God's love and grace are real and true, if we lived as if we will all be called children of the Most High, I wonder how we would reconsider our needs our vulnerabilities, our dependency on each other. This isn't easy. This is the work of a lifetime. But perhaps there are ways that we can start to recalculate right here, right now, this very day. My sister sent me a piece this week from a woman who was quoted on Humans of New York. You might know Humans of New York. It is a series of portraits and kind of block texts of interviews. You don't get much more than what is just seen in these one paragraphs, but they tell so much of a story. This was from February 19th. Perhaps you saw it. In a picture, a young woman leans against a wall. She is perhaps in her mid-30s, blonde-haired, light-skinned. She's wearing big hoop earrings and a green jacket and dark glasses. And here is her quote. I'm not sure if you've heard about the accident at South by Southwest Music Festival a few years ago. A car plowed into a crowd of pedestrians. Four people died. 25 were injured. I was the 25th. I broke my back and neck in four places. 
The driver was fleeing from the police. He was 21 years old. His name was Rashad. A lot of people in my life thought he should get the death penalty, but I never had strong feelings about that. Maybe I'm disconnected from my emotions. Maybe it's just my personality. But I mostly just felt sad that he's so young and he'll be in jail for the rest of his life. Recently, I looked up the address of his prison. I purchased a P.O. box, and I wrote him three letters. I've held onto them for months without sending them. I guess I'm struggling with the fact that empathy is a privilege. I'm still alive. I'm still able to walk. There are people who lost more than me who might be upset that I'm showing him any compassion at all, but I find it curious that I know nothing about someone who's had such a profound impact on my life. All three letters begin the exact same way. We've never met, but we were in the same place at the same time. I'm not sure what I'm looking for. I just figure there's something to be said, and I'd like to figure out what that is. This woman is doing some tough work. She is working to recalculate who Rashad is and who she is in relationship to him. She is working hard not to think about him in terms of revenge and retribution, in terms of what he owes or what he deserves. She is doing the hard work of recalculating, reconsidering who Rashad is as a person in this world. This is tough. This is challenging. This is work that we will never finish. But it is work that perhaps we can take a leap of faith and start now. The gospel does not promise that we will get what we are owed. The gospel reveals that we receive such abundance of love and grace that we do not deserve, and still it comes and comes and comes flowing upon us. So perhaps we can start to try today to live as if this grace is real, as if Christ's love is true, as if we are not the ones who will have the final word, as if we are not the ones who will make the final calculation of someone's worth. Perhaps we can live as if we are all bound together in the mud of this earth by space and time and hope and fear and love and grace that we are knit together by our Creator, held fast by our Christ, filled and refilled by the Holy Spirit for this challenging journey of life and faith. Perhaps we can live as if we are all being called children of the Most High, claimed and redeemed, with the chance now to care for each other, now and always. May it be so. Let us pray. Holy One, we gather, we reflect, we recalculate, and we respond to you. Today, we commit to try to live as if your love, as if your grace are real and true and with us now. Teach us your will for our lives, today and in the week to come. Amen.